Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We're going to continue with our topic on Learn of Me the invitation of Jesus that we started last Wednesday. So let's go to Matthew chapter 11 and let's start from verse 25 or so. Let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 11. You learned about healing on Sunday, right? How our emotions and our thoughts can either keep us healed or cause us to be sick. Praise God. I said praise God. Okay. Matthew chapter 11. Let's start reading from verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And that's very important to pay attention to. Because you find that a lot of believers are afraid of the things that go on on the earth as if God is not the Lord of heaven and earth. That you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent. Now pay attention to that because it's going to make some meaning to us as we build on later on. You have hidden them from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Now, if the Bible says that God has hidden them from the wise and the prudent and has revealed them to babes, obviously, he is not, the Bible is not referring just to little children in terms of just their age. But rather, there is a characteristic in the life of the little child that the Bible is trying to emphasize. Which means that for you to be able to get a revelation from the Father, there has to be a childlike nature in you. You know, some people are too proud and too old and too, you know, stiff naked to hear anything from God. I was talking to someone the other day and there's, there's a young person that want to see how we can... Um, just help put some direction into his life. But uh, he knows more than everybody. And I'm even sure that if we spend more time with him, we'll realize that he knows more than God. And how many of you realize you cannot help somebody who does not think he needs help? Praise God. Or helping someone who thinks he knows. Have you tried to teach your child and your child says, well, I know it. I know it. And then from the answer, we know that you don't know it. Are you following this now? So he says, the wise and the prudent cannot get these things. It has to be revealed to the babes. Even as a pastor, my wife, we're talking before she traveled and she was reminding me that I've been in ministry for years. I keep saying 10 years, but it's actually 12 years. But having been in ministry full-time for 12 years, 
There are certain things people ask me from the Bible, and I tell them, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But if there's something in the Word of God, I choose to believe it. Are you following what I'm saying? The, my first default as a child of God is that of a believer, if it's in the Word of God. And then I start studying, and then it starts making sense to my mind. And then I start studying till I know it enough to be able to explain it to people. But the fact that I don't understand certain things in the scripture uh, doesn't make me, rather they push me to, to further study. So there is a level of wisdom and prudence you would think you have and you'll never get from God. You'll never receive from God. Praise God. Now, verse 26. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now, if you read this like this, you might think, well, it depends on who God wants to reveal the Father to, or the Son to, that's who can get the revelation. But if you read further, you will then observe that there is an invitation to come and learn. Praise God. Now, if you read the last line there, excuse me, if you read the last line there, it says, and to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So, if you, if you stop there, you will feel that, well, if God doesn't want to reveal himself to me, then I don't have any choice. You know, some people teach that when they teach the doctrine of election, that some have been elected to be saved. But you know, God has always created man with his will. And your will in anything, including salvation and giving, is very important. So in the next verse, there is now that general invitation. Now go to verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The first rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So if you haven't listened to the part one, get it from the church office and listen to it. I've thought of this now. For learn from me, right? Learn from me. Learn from me. Okay. So, the next verse. The next line. For I am gentle. The word gentle there is actually meek. And lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now. Three things I want us to pick from there. Go to the verse before that. Verse 29. It says, I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart. So I want you to observe the word heart there. And I want you to observe meekness there and lowliness there. The characteristic of the heart of Jesus. Because the line before that says, learn from me. I'm the source of your learning. You're going to learn from me, right? Right, 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 right. Say amen if you're here. Okay, so you're learning from me. You're going to be learning from me. Now, the me you're going to be learning from, there is a particular characteristic of my heart. That's what I want to deal with today. And what is that characteristic? The heart is meek, is gentle, and lowly in heart. In heart. So there is a heart's posture 
that we are not just learning about Jesus, we are actually learning to have that kind of heart. We're not just learning about Jesus, we're learning to actually have what? That kind of heart. What kind of heart does Jesus have? To be meek and to what? To be lowly. That's gentle. Okay. Let's read it from the Amplified Version. Let's read it from the Amplified Version. If you... A member of this church, you should get the Amplified Version. <laughs> Praise God. Get all the versions you can. All right? All right. He uses the word humble in heart. The Amplified uses the word humble in heart. So that posture of being meek and lowly in heart actually speaks of humility of heart. Now, humility of heart is what makes us to be able to learn from Jesus. If a believer is not humble at heart, they would never learn anything. You cannot learn from the master. Now, let's go to Jeremiah 6 now. Jeremiah 6. Praise God. Jeremiah chapter 6. And verse 16. Now I'm going to show you a scripture towards the end. Jeremiah 6 verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old path where the good way is and walk in it then you will find rest for your soul now have you observed that the finding of rest for our souls is determined by actually learning of Jesus it is after we have learned of Jesus that we can find rest for our soul so actually, it is Jesus that gives us rest for our soul, but it starts from us learning from him. You know, I, I was preaching to all our churches in Delta State on Sunday, and I was teaching them certain things, and the Spirit of the Lord began to lead me into talking about contentment. And you know, one of the things we don't teach a lot in the Christian faith is contentment. We teach a lot about increase, we teach a lot about prosperity, we teach a lot about... Um, favor. We, we teach a lot of things. But you know, we don't teach we don't teach contentment in the Christian faith a lot. And we don't teach against covetousness in the Christian faith a lot. Yeah? Yeah. I can bet you that you haven't, including me, I'm not sure I've taught, taught against covetousness. For, well, I mentioned it here and there, but I'm not sure you've, you've heard many messages against covetousness. Have you? Okay. And you know the Bible is loud against believers being covetous. The Bible is big on it. In fact, covetousness and idolatry, worshiping of other idols, is always in this, almost in the same verse. 
And the Bible is strong. It uses the word beware. Just as you would say beware of dogs. <laughs> so he says beware of covetousness. You realize that? And you realize that the only thing that the Lord puts in terms of opposite himself, in terms of worship, was mammon, money. You cannot serve God and money. He didn't even say you cannot serve God and the devil. He said you cannot serve God and money. Then he uses very strong words afterwards. He says, for you will love one and despise the other. The word despise there is to look less on. And if you find out why many believers cannot worship God today, is that same thing called mammon. The corruption in the society, the perversion in the society, everything is money. The ritual killing, the kidnapping, the governors not performing, the pastors stealing. Everything is rooted in that, in that stuff called money. And now, you know, you, you, look, at, look at our lives. You know, we wake up every day chasing this thing. <laughs> it defines everything about us. It defines who a girl can say yes to. You know, you know, you heard ladies say, well, I've been poor my life. I don't want to continue in poverty. So they're waiting for the rich guy. It depends on when guys are going to get married. You tell a guy to get married, say, I've not, I've not, there's no money. And yet he's impregnated for girls, no money because that is free. That doesn't cost anything. You realize it's the defining factor of everything. Sometimes, sadly enough, is the defining factor of even our Christian faith. Where the one who has money is a leader and the poor one has to be led over. And that's a powerful thing. And it is all because there's no rest in our souls. There's agitation. So I was, I was, I was really challenging our churches to slow down in this race. The race called the rat race. I'm not part of that, but that's what people call it. We need to pause a bit and just breathe. Some of us are not breathing. We have been running all along. <laughs> We already have goals for 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. Then once in a while, you just pause and say, well, God, if you don't even do anything extra for my life, apart from what you've done, what you've done in the past, I'm grateful to God. Praise God. Okay, that's just by the, by the side. Do whatever you want to do with it. But look at their reply to the Lord. He says, but they said... <laughs> We will not walk in it. Look at their reply. Obviously, they didn't say this to the Lord. They didn't say it in words to the Lord, but they said it in their actions. And how did they say it in their actions? Their heart was not meek. Their heart was not lowly. So when the Lord gave them this instruction, they did not receive it. Say, seek ye the whole path. Walk in it that you find rest for yourself. Say, we will not. And deliberately, they did not walk in what God has asked them to walk in. The whole thing about the Christian faith is obedience to God. Every struggle you're having right now is a struggle of obedience. Do you agree with me? It's a struggle of obedience. Most of us know what is right. Even if you don't come to church every day, if you've been in church in the last one year, you know what is right. Your greatest struggle is, would you walk in it or not? Is that how you are replying like these guys? Like, God, I know this is it, but we will not. I know I ought to love, but I'm not. I know I ought to walk in it, but I'm not. That's the struggle. That's why I also don't appreciate when pastors sometimes try to talk about the call of God. 
And then they talked about how they didn't, God was calling them. They said no. Their wife died. Their cat died. Their dog died. Their business collapsed. You're just boasting in your disobedience. You're not. You're you're trying to make it look like you know God had to. You know, it's like the transfer market. God was negotiating and negotiating and negotiating. And finally, on the last day of the transfer, God finally got you to become a pastor. And then people say, Ah, ah, you left a lot. Oh, hi. No, you were just disobedient. It wasn't God that destroyed your business. It wasn't God that killed your wife. It wasn't God that killed your cat. Because you were disobedient, you opened the door for the enemy to be able to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Are you following what I'm saying? God doesn't have to kill everything around you to make you become a pastor. You were just a disobedient child, and you should not even be sharing those testimonies. Now that you're a pastor, well, just go ahead and preach. Because if we're not careful, we paint an image of God that does not exist, an image of God that we've created. And our greatest struggle is obedience. And that's why we need to learn of the Lord. Because that's what Jesus came to typify on earth. What did Jesus come to typify? I'll do nothing except what I see my father do. Right. I'll say nothing except what I see my father what? Say how many of you are in situations where, man, somebody made you angry? You're like, man, I'm going to give it to this person. And the Holy Spirit is just telling you, take it easy. Take it easy. Don't see anything. And like, I'm going to tell them my mind. No, don't tell them your mind. Tell them the mind of Christ. I'm going to show them my real color. No, you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Those are the moments where you are either saying, I will not walk in it, or I will do what? I'll walk in it. And how many of you observe, after you have made that reaction, then you start having trouble in your soul? Am I right? I shouldn't have said this. Ah, what about if pastor here? What about if this one here? I should. No, but if you had just walked in love, if you have just seek for that old path, that good way, and walk in it, what is going to be the after effect? Rest. So, have you ever struggled with the Lord in terms of giving? I'm not talking about when you give something you want to give. When you give something, the Lord is asking you to give. I remember one time, I don't know where, when somebody gave me this very expensive wristwatch. Well, I didn't know the wristwatch was expensive. So, you know how sometimes you are just living your life until people start telling you stuff. So I just wore it normally. I went somewhere, and the person saw it. Ah! Man, man, man. <laughs> you know, and every time I started wearing that wristwatch, I started having that man feeling. <laughs> you know, you finish dressing, you just make sure this is the last thing I'm going to wear. And you wear it with confidence, and you know that it's not this one, so don't bother. <laughs> this one is plastic, this is rubber, there's nothing here. <laughs> you know, and then you wear it, and you are, you know, like, man, I'm, God is good. And then, after the day, the next day I wore it, and I wore it with that feeling, that man feeling. Like people who think pastors are suffering, let them come and see. And then as I was preaching, the Lord said, when you're done, give it to someone in the church. Number one, the person wasn't some, you know how you want to give somebody something and you feel like, man, I, don't, I like this person. I don't mind you having it. And you have the feeling like, even if I want to give everybody in this church something, it's not you. 
You know, and he's that kind of person. Maybe somebody who never shows up in service. You know, somebody who you don't think deserve something. And then I said, okay, God, I know what I'm going to do. So I took two other wristwatches I had. And I went to him. I said, hey, do you want any of this one? And he picked one. Wow. That was the next day. And then the Lord said, I said, give him this one. I'm like, but he already has one restore. Say, no, it's this one. You know, those ones don't have the man feeling. This is the one that has it. And then I struggled, I struggled, I struggled, I struggled. But I realized since that day, I haven't been that disobedient. Because I realized I gave out three of my wristwatches. And God wasn't pleased. So I ended up giving out four instead of just one. Now, when I gave him that one, that was the last one, I didn't have any anymore. Praise God. But what I'm trying to say is this. That's our greatest struggle. It's easy to preach these things. It's easy to read these things. It's easy to write them down. It's easy to circle your Bible. When the rubber meets the road, when it's time for you to walk in love, when hatred makes sense, that is when you will know if you're actually learning of the Lord. Because you know what? Go back to Matthew. You know what? The Lord is not Matthew eleven twenty nine now. Uh, verse thirty, sorry, Matthew eleven thirty. Are you learning something this evening? Say Amen if you are. All right. Now look at this. The Lord is not freeing us from a yoke. Like we are not coming from heavy yokes to no yoke. Right? We're not coming out from. Heavy burdens to no burdens. No. We're actually coming out from heavy yokes to what? I can't hear you, church. We're coming from heavy yokes to what? To easy yoke. So there's a yoke. We're actually leaving heavy burdens to what? Light burdens. So there is what? A burden. So it is not a call to a yoke-free life. That's not Christianity. Sometimes you do the right things and you'll be punished. Sometimes you refuse to steal and you'll be poor. It's a yoke. <laughs> you think every time you do something right, things will be good for you? No. Not sure. That's not what I see in the Bible, though. You know, Jesus didn't do anything wrong, but he still killed him. Oh, you don't know? I thought you knew. Now you know. He didn't do anything wrong and they killed him. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. He was in prison. Praise God. But you know the good thing is at the end of the day, you are justified. At the end of the day, you are glorified. But our problem is we can't wait. So, what is the yoke? How many of you know what the yoke is? So the yoke is that wood put in between two animals, right? Agricultural animals. Right? So they can plow the ground. Now the reason for the yoke is so that the animals can walk in a straight line. So if two animals, oxen, are put together and they're, then the guy who is holding the stuff, the plow, is holding it and they're walking on a straight line. If not, if you just tell the animals, well, go plow this ground. <laughs> How many of you know at the end of the day, you won't even know where the ridges are? 
Because then an animal is plowing this way, an animal is plowing this way, another one is plowing this way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you also become a believer, you don't have the choice to do whatever you want. There is still a yoke on your life so you can walk in the right path. Because we're almost redefining the Bible. We're redefining things right now. We're redefining what is right right now. If it feels good, it's okay. If I feel this way, no. Christianity is not a celebration of your feelings. It's a cause of discipleship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on, I said, are you hearing what I'm saying? So there is a yoke. We are coming into a yoke. But it's rather an easy one. How is it an easy one? God is giving us grace to be able to live that life. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. So there is a yoke. Alright. First Peter 2. Verse 21. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For these you were called. Let's read. It's an interesting reading, eh? Let's read from verse 18. <laughs> Very funny and interesting reading. Verse 18. Let's take it slowly. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. This is where it gets interesting. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now this is where the issue is going to be. Would you be able to walk under a harsh boss and still behave like a believer? Because it's there right there. Right? Can you see it in your Bible? Can you see it in your Bible? Say yes if you can. All right. Not only to the good. Because it's easy to be good to a good person. But also to the harsh. Go on now. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. You know, these scriptures don't really, we don't like them. It says if you're, if you're at fault and they beat you, you know, you just take it patiently. You know, I'm taking this beating because I'm at fault. He said it's the same. When you are persecuted for doing right, when you're persecuted for standing for the right thing. He goes on to say, for to this you were called. That's amazing. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us what? I didn't hear that. Leaving us what? An example that you should follow his steps. What was the example of Jesus? Suffering for what is right. That's the example. It's like a young lady. 
and everybody who wants to marry you wants to sleep with you first and you keep saying no and all your friends are getting married how many of you know that's some emotional suffer you're always doing uh, bridesmaid every time they throw the flower it gets to you but then you never get married do you know that if you're not deep, deeply rooted in your convictions, what's going to happen? You're going to break boundaries. Because you're going to logically now say, okay, after all, we're going to get married. Do you, you know that human logic? That's what he's saying right here. That there's an example for us. And the example is not for enjoyment. So the example is suffering. That's it. There's no Greek word to it, just suffering. Say, Pastor, let's try out that translation. So you don't want to even check what is there. I am beginning to try to call believers again back to the fact that there are certain things the Bible teaches us that we're not big on in this generation, and that's affecting us big time. One of such things is that we will suffer if we are righteous. It won't always be nice. It will always be good. There is a price to pay for walking right. And we must make up our mind to pay it. Praise God. Because that's, some of, that's, that's what will give rest to our soul. Why? So you won't be feeling guilty the same way someone else is feeling guilty. It left us an example. He left us an example that we should follow his steps. Praise God. James 1.21. James 1.21. Are you learning something today? All right. James 1.21. Therefore... Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness, receive with gentleness, receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your soul. He explains it in the next verse, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So in doing the word, you have received with meekness the engrafted word of God or the implanted word of God. So there is a level of meekness that is required to be able to receive the word of God. Like I'm telling you tonight now. There's a level of meekness required to receive God's word. And if we are not, it means that we must be open to the fact that the word can correct us. Every time you get into the word, he talks about that now in the mirror, right? If you go on, I don't have time to... Okay, let's go now. I have time. Let's go. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? It's very simple. You look in the mirror, and then 
You know, if they ask you right now, as you sit there, there to draw yourself, you won't likely get yourself right. Okay. But he will, but for, for himself, himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continues in it, observe the word continues, and is not a forgetful hearer. Forgetful hearer. What's a forgetful hearer? He has all the sermons in the world, but never does anything with it. Look at it. But a doer of the work. Now, observe something there now. He's talking about the word. Right? Pay careful attention here. He's talking about the word. But he says that if you are a doer of the work, what work? The work that the word of God instructs you. The action that comes from looking into the perfect law of liberty. Meaning, every time I look into the perfect law of liberty, I'm going to see a work there. I'm going to see something to do. And if I do that work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So it's, it's uh, well, I, I think majorly works for ladies more than, um, more than guys, right? But there's some guys who are also fond of the mirror. But then, ladies, you know, in front of the mirror, you want to do your makeup, you sit there, you, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. What's the mirror telling you? Every time you look into the mirror, you see there's more work to be done, right? You look into the mirror, you do a work. You look into the mirror, you do a work. You look into the mirror, you do a work. You know? And then by the time you come out, you are completely transformed. <laughs> I mean, I, I must say this. This makeup thing is a miracle. Absolute miracle. Before and after. Absolute miracle. <laughs> so if you want to marry anybody, make sure you have both pictures. Is that okay? You have the before picture and the after picture. So you don't marry the after picture and wake up with the before picture. You understand what I'm saying? All right. So, but that's it. You see, every time you look at the mirror, you require, oh, I need to adjust this. Right. So the mirror gives you an action. You understand that? But you know, when you lift that mirror, it's when you now meet someone else, the person that looks at you and says, oh, I think you need to adjust this. Meaning that if you want to keep looking good in the context of this message, you need to constantly sit in face of the mirror. Because every time you leave, you are forgetting your face, as it were. Okay. So, but what I want you to pick there is what? Meekness of heart to make that adjustment. So you need to be humble to look at the mirror. And then the mirror tells you, oh, you need to apply something more here. Don't, if you go like, no, 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 I don't need to. Then you're going to appear not made up. Right. So every time you look at that mirror, I'm using ladies as an example because of, okay, well, you can also use a guy when you get dressed up and all that. But you know, every time you stand in front of that mirror, you are humble enough to say, whatever the mirror shows me, that's who I am. Are we correct? Say amen if we're correct. So if I look at the mirror and I see a black spot here, I don't go about saying there's no black spot, there's no black spot. No, that there is a black spot. So what am I going to do? I take all the makeup stuff and put, put on my face. Praise God. So that action is prompted by humility of heart. You have accepted 
that the mirror is right and you're not in, in the context of our discussion. It's the same thing when you approach the word of God. If the word of God points out something to you in your heart, what do you do? You go into adjusting it. If the law says there's pride there, you go into adjusting it. You approach the word of God with humility and before you know, the blessings of God will come upon it. You don't approach the word of God with reasons. Why did you talk rudely to the gate man? It is because of the way he's behaving. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. It's not his problem. It's your problem. Praise God. I, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? So when you get in before God's word, you allow the word of God to make that adjustment in your heart. Billy Graham said, many people are willing to have Jesus as part of their life as long as it does not cost them anything. Many people are willing to have Jesus in their lives as long as it does not what? Cost them what? Anything. It's okay to just come to church and live like the rest of the world. <laughs> Praise God. Proverbs 16.25. Let's do three more scriptures. There is a way that seems right. Not is right, but it seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14.12. Proverbs 14.12. <laughs> there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, you must understand that when the Bible refers to death, there are several kinds of deaths in the scripture, but the, majorly, it, it's not just talking about physical death, it's talking about separation from God. The separation of that spiritual relationship from God. That's what happened to Adam when he partook, you know, of the tree in the garden. The Bible says there is a way that seems right. It looks right. It's okay. But it says in that part is a part of death. So the way is not right, but it seems right. From your calculations, from your logic, it seems right. Let's look at two scriptures. Matthew 5. As we read the scriptures, think of the humility of heart. Think of all we've been talking about learning, learning from Jesus. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 to 48. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You know, one thing, one thing is this. Huh? If you are not somebody who is strong in, in the convictions of the Christian faith, you will not be able to live the Christian life. Because the peer pressure of the world is so real. Even amongst pastors, even amongst ministers, not just because you're... I don't like using that word, but people say ordinary Christian. Even among ministers. Sometimes you sit among ministers and there's pressure on how to grow the church. Pressure of this, pressure of that, pressure of this. You know, sometimes people make it look like uh, international travel is the hallmark of ministry. Have you preached in this country? Have you preached in this country? Have you preached in this country? As if preaching in those countries uh, authenticate the fact that you've been called into ministry. 
Sadly enough, sometimes we even preach, man, I'm telling you, sadly enough, people preach more. Sometimes they preach more to people in this country than they preach to other countries. You know, you travel and go, well, I'm not saying you should, but, you know, someone travels, preaches to, to, to 10, 50 people, 20 people in Europe. I mean, I've, I've traveled to preach in some churches that our weekday service are bigger than those churches. You know, but then people are going to feel like, oh, because you have traveled, then, ah, man, God has answered your prayer. And before you know, you start traveling even where God hasn't sent you. Just because you want to say, have you been, yes, I've been there, yeah, I've been there. You become a tourist. There's pressure everywhere. So you have to be convinced. I'll give you an example. I, I primarily feel that I'm called to, to Africa, and that's my primary domain. And you know, sometimes I talk to ministers and it's almost like, no, Europe. And I must tell you, in 12 years of being a full-time minister, I have never knelt down to pray that the Lord should open the door of Europe. I really consciously never. Sometimes it's when I'm preaching, I remember there's a place called Europe. I've been, in the last five years, I've been pre praying that the Lord should open the doors of French-speaking West Africa to us. Ivory Coast, French-speaking Cameroon, Congo, and all of those countries. Because... They don't have as much material as we have in English. They don't have as much preachers that we have in English. And that's been my heart crying in the last five years. And you know, you talk to some pre preachers and it's like you don't have a goal. <laughs> Ultimately, whether a preacher or a non-preacher, our ultimate goal in this Christian faith is to please the Father. Is that okay? That's the ultimate. It's not anything. It's not the car we drive, the house we live in, the, 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 whatever. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Let's go now because of time. Whatever you can fill in the blank spaces. You have heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> Who is speaking here? Come on, let's agree. Who is speaking? Who is speaking? Jesus? Why are you guys scared of calling the name? I thought you were Christians. Who is speaking now? Jesus. So we, we're going to agree to what he says, right? This is Jesus speaking, right? Okay. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, who is saying now? Saying to who? Me, me, not us. Saying to who? Saying to who? What does Jesus say to you? I didn't hear that. Kill them. What does he say? What's the next thing Jesus is telling you to do? I didn't hear that. Are you sure Jesus is telling us to really do that? Okay. Next, what Jesus is telling us to do? Jesus is wonderful. Next word Jesus is telling us to do? You know those four instructions are going to be the most difficult instructions that you ever obey in this life. Let's read them slowly now. Number one, love my enemies. Don't say love your, love my. Number one, you should do what? Love my enemies. Number two, 
bless those who curse me. Number three, I'll do good to those who hate me. Let's repeat that. I'll do good to those who hate me. Let's repeat that again. I will do good to those who hate me. Put emphasis on the word good. Let's repeat it again. I will do good to those who hate me. Mm-hmm. How many of you can think right now of people you know that hate you? I can think. A lot of people hate me. <laughs> so what are we going to do to them? Good. So you know what you're going to do? You're going to go back home, think of everyone that hates you, and pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what good should I do to them? You see that quietness. You see the way this... I wish I preached this message on Sunday. I have to preach it again on Sunday. I'll think of a way to preach it. I'll change the title and preach it somewhere. But I need to preach this on Sunday. How many of you think more people need to hear this? So you know what you're going to do? You're going to go back home this night. Write out the names of people who hate you. Don't pretend that people don't hate you. You know people hate you. Because Jesus says they hate you. And you know them. Then you're going to write it this way. People who hate me, left hand side, write it. Maxwell, whatever, good. The good I'm going to do, right hand side. Lord, John hates me. And I hate him. But I'm going to humble myself. Right. Don't, don't laugh about this. This is serious. This is serious. I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to take an, another yoke. This is what's happening now. I'm going to remove the heavy yoke of hatred, bitterness, and unforgiveness. And I'm going to take a lighter yoke of love and good. So you say, Father, I come before you with humility of heart. Remember the example like a babe? I'm going to close here because I want to preach this on Sunday. So I'll just close where I know I will not finish. I really want to preach this on Sunday. Holy Spirit, allow me to preach this on Sunday. I'll preach this on Sunday. But you know, it says come like a child. How many of you have your child, if he still comes to the house and your child did not greet and you hit the child to go back to greet and then the child is crying but the child wants to greet. Right. Right. That's what's happening now. You don't want to forgive. You want to pay back. You have even pray that God should bless you so that they will know that that hatred they hated you is the reason God is blessing you. God is now telling you, yes, the reason I'm blessing you is so that you can be able to do enough good to them. I'm not blessing you so that they will know that because they hated you, that's why I'm blessing you. No, I'm blessing you so you can be in a position to be so good to them and so you can obey the scripture. So, God's goodness on your life is not to validate their hatred. It is to empower you to be a good man. It changes everything about the way we pray. Are you following what I'm saying? And now this good is not... Okay, we'll, we'll go talk about that now. Now, let's go. Down. So, you, you put out the names there and you pray and say, Father, this man called John or James or whatever. I hate him. He hates me. 
But I humble myself before you and come before you like a child now. And you teach me what good to do to them. And the Holy Spirit will begin to give you instructions. For some of them, the Holy Spirit will just say, pray for them. Bless them with words. For some, you might not need to go. For some of them, say, give to them anonymously. It happened to me a couple of years back. I had this preacher, something happened, we were working together, and something, something happened, we didn't work together anymore. And I said, this guy is never going to preach for me again. And I was putting up a meeting, and the Holy Spirit says, get him as one of your speakers. <laughs> and then I publicly said, this guy was not going to preach for me again. So how do you now publicly, imagine somebody comes to church, and I'll tell you, well, this guy is never going to preach for us again. Talk to the leadership. And the next day you're saying the Holy Spirit said, let's get him. But you know where? That's where the meekness is going to come in now. Are you going to humble yourself to say, well, I said that in anger? And so I met my guys. I said, well, this is what the Spirit of God is saying to me and everything. No, in fact, when I was going to meet them, the Lord says, don't tell them I'm the one telling you. Because if I go now and say, well, I didn't want that guy, but the Spirit of God said we should bring him. You know what I've done, right? It's not me. Left for me. He won't come here. But the spirits, who are we to disobey the Spirit? So God says, go back and tell them the guy needs to come. And say, if they ask you why he needs to come, just tell them. And all that. And what the Spirit of God was just doing there was to test my heart. Because when I went meet my guy, I said, well, I think this guy is going to come back. And two guys said, well, We've been having that impression, but we didn't know how to come and meet you because you had said he will never preach for us again. So you see, these things are things we need to work out. Praise God. I know how funny that thing went. I got an instruction because he's done a great job. And I got an instruction. The, the Lord put it in my heart. He says, when he comes, give him an award for all the things that he's doing. And you know how, how you're doing that and you're, you hold the award, it's almost like, instead of giving it like this, you're almost like, <laughs> praise God. But that's the yoke. The light yoke is the yoke of obedience. But do you know what? After obeying the instructions of the Lord, every time the memory of that preacher comes in my mind, there's no agitation. There's rest in my soul. Praise God. If I hear his name, there's rest in my soul. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, what you find out is if you don't do that, anytime the memory of that person comes, anger. Every time the memory of that person comes, hatred. Every time the memory of that person comes, envy. Every time the memory of that person comes, jealousy. That's the burden. That's the heavy yoke. So what's the invitation the Lord is asking us? The Lord is asking us to come learn of him. Praise God. Let's pray. We'll continue on Sunday. Father, we thank you. And we ask, Father God, that you would help us to carry out your instructions. That wherever these, you know, things are just locked up in our spirits, we just pray that you help us to walk in love. In the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng.
We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.